0: hi and welcome to the radius church podcast thank you so much for joining us today if you're interested in finding out more information about radius church please check us out on our website radiuschurch.tv going to talk about marriage from god's word as i was praying it struck me and how many know when you know the truth the truth is what sets us free right i had this young lady in my church i'm just going to start off and and if you're listening online and you're not a churchgoer or you don't have a background in church i'm just going to start off controversial all right everybody can i get a little love and support in the room for that anyway okay because I'm going to say some things today that really go against the grind on against the grain on culture right now, you know, and um, it's going to kind of feel a little bit like I'm petting the cat backwards. How many know what I'm saying, right? Okay, but if the cat would just turn around, everything would go smooth. How many know what I'm saying? Okay, so anyway. I had a young lady in my church who, she was very frustrated. She came to me, she was very frustrated in between services uh, regarding the legal side of marriage. So she was very frustrated about this. She asked me why they needed a piece of paper to prove their love to one another. And as a pastor, I've heard this on more than one occasion, but she was really agitated. How come I have to have a piece of paper just to prove our love to one another? And I said to her, I said, you don't need a piece of paper to prove your love to each other. That's not what the piece of paper is about at all. And so I knew that would, I knew agreement would rope her into more questions. How many know what I'm saying, right? And so she said, well, I'm madly in love with him. And then began to tell me all the stuff that she's heard through love songs of why she loved him so much and how he was Mr. Perfect uh, how many men remember back when you were Mr. Perfect, right? Okay. And so, anyway, can you remember that far back? Uh, anyway, all right. So, and she said, I'm madly in love with him. And she went on to describe all these things about how she felt about that stage of their relationship. And the legal piece of paper would do little to change those feelings, she said. So I don't need that thing. However, how many know there's always a but, Right? But this mindset that she had that man, a piece of paper is not going to change the way I feel about him in the current stage and I couldn't agree with her more. But it's not about the current stage and that's what I want to unfold a little bit today. You see, the mindset that she had revealed something very interesting about her and it reveals something that is current and trendy in our culture today. See, she thought that if love required some kind of duty or some kind of contract, then it wouldn't be love. She thought that if it required some kind of duty, it would be oppressive and it would be inauthentic, which is becoming a big thought in our culture today. But when we define what the Bible says about love, when the Bible talks about love, How many know it's not talking about what we get out of love? If we love, it talks about what we pour into love. There's the difference right there. You see, we have a cultural mindset that when we're in love, we get and we receive all this stuff. But the Bible says as people of God, when we love, it's not about what we get as demonstrated through our Savior. It's about what we give. And that changes everything, my friends. Come on now. And and when you really talk about love, how many know love loses? Now, I know there's an argument, love wins. I understand, love wins. But how many know, if you're in love, you're going to choose to, on purpose, lose some things. For the sake of love, right? Come on. If you haven't learned this yet, you need marriage 101, okay? Because the fact of the matter is you can win the battle but lose the war. So there's some battles you just need to be willing to lose. How many know what I'm talking about? Right? And so love not only loses, but love gives. Love pours in. Love denies self. Sounds like we're talking about Jesus, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds like we're talking about Jesus, not my will, but thy will be done, he said to the Father. Now, keep that in mind, because we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But if you'll remember in part number one, one of the things that we talked about in part number one was the mystery of marriage. Paul talked about this thing about a man and a woman coming together and becoming one. It is a mystery. It doesn't make sense how two individuals, but then Paul reveals what the mystery looks like. The mystery is hidden in Jesus, in the fact that he left his. His perfect place. He left heaven. He forsake himself so that he could come to earth, sacrifice to become one with his bride known as the church. You guys follow me? And that's the mystery. And that's what makes marriage work today. And, and really, if I could use today's vernacular, see I have such an important message, my screen won't even corroborate with me today. Uh, it, 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 it's the difference... If I was using today's vernacular, it's the difference between a contract and a covenant. Many people today, even in church world, don't know what a covenant is. And I want to break that down a little bit today because it gives us a better understanding of what marriage is. Um, but I want to just kind of outline three different kinds of marriages just, just for a moment. These are just snapshots. I know it's an oversimplification, but I think we could take every style of marriage and put it into one of these categories. Number one is what I'm calling the consumer marriage. It's the And, and Americans, we, we, lo, we are consumers, and we treat a lot of things like we are consumers. And, and I put this picture here because I wanted to give a picture. How many know they don't really look happily ever after? How many know that, right? And um, I, I call the consumer marriage, what I call it is, is back-to-back. It's when we're doing marriage back-to-back. It's I'm watching out for me, and you're watching out for you, and it's a total consumerism consumer marriage. And consumer marriage have become the norm in our culture. Consumer marriages are built on feelings. Consumer marriages is what I can get out of the product rather than what I can pour into the product. It's a consumer mindset. What can I get out of this deal? I want to get the biggest bang for my buck. Come on. If we're consumers, isn't that true? I, I, I want to get the most product for the littlest price. But what happens when you have to give more of a price and get less of a product? Come on now. Usually, then we change stores. And usually then we change marriages when we go into the marriage with a consumer mindset. It's what can I get out of it? Can I get some security out of this? Can I get a friendship out of this? Can I get friends with benefits out of this? Can I get romance out of this? Can I get sex out of this? Can I get financial security out of this? You see, consumer relationships only last as long as the vendor meets your needs at a price you're willing to pay. Come on, everybody. I told you, we're petting the cat backwards today. If another vendor offers a better service at a less cost, (laughs) yes, I am speaking a little bit of code because I'm scared of you today, all right? (laughs) If another vendor offers a better service at a less cost, then we have no obligation to stay with the previous vendor. This view says that my individual needs are of greater importance than the relationship. What I'm getting out of it for the price I'm paying is either worth it or not worth it. But what happens when you come to a particular storm in life? Come on, anybody been married here a little while and could uh, identify there's going to be some storms? What happens when Mr. Perfect is only Mr. Almost now, right? What happens when the lips, hips, and fingertips are no longer what they used to be? You know what I'm talking about, don't you, everybody, right? And so what happens? See, this view talks about what I get out of it. But when we stop making a profit, uh uh-oh, when we, when we stop making a profit, I want you to think about that. When we stop making a profit, in other words, getting more, when we stop getting more than we're giving, it's time for a new vendor. When, when the price I'm paying is higher than what I'm receiving, then we want to change the vendor. But there's going to be some storms in life where you're going to give a whole lot more than you're going to receive, Come on. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. When I have to give more love than what I'm getting back, then I don't like this marriage anymore. When I have to be the one that always compromises, when I have to be the one that always apologizes, when I have to be the one and I'm spending and I'm spending and I'm spending and I'm spending and what I'm receiving back is not equal to the amount of money that I'm spending. Now, there are some stores I will go to, and I know I'm going to spend more at that store for the same product that I can get for less at another store, i.e. Starbucks. How many know what I'm saying, right? right? But there's some stores that I will go to. Nordstrom's is a great illustration. I'll go to Nordstrom's. I'll pay a little bit more for a pair of jeans than I would down at the outlet store. But, but I like what I get, not just the product, but the service and the extras and the return policies. And, and I'm getting a little bit more, so I'm willing to pay a little bit more. But what happens when the balance of the scales is no longer like that? It's a consumer marriage. It's a consumer relationship. And consumer marriages have a hard time surviving when the challenges that life throws at you come up. Mm -hmm. Man, I'm working hard. I'm working 60 hours a week. The kids, she's always paying attention to the kids. There's soccer practice. There's bills. There's taxes. There's And you just list them and pile them on and pile them on. And most couples that end up in my office sit here saying, basically what I just explained, I'm giving more and I just don't know if it's worth it. Because we entered into the marriage with a consumer mindset. Now, I'm preaching to marriages today, but I'm really trying to help some single people in the room. All right, And so number two, the second kind of marriage is what I'm going to call a contract marriage. So we have a consumer marriage back-to-back. The contract marriage, it looks a little better. It might start off a little better, but as you'll see, it has its flaws too. A, a contract marriage is what is known uh, a lot today. It- it's what I would call shoulder-to-shoulder. Um, It's endured its first years. It's down the road a little bit. But but the contract marriage is like, you be my partner, I'll be your partner. Uh, I'll do this and you do that. I'll do my part as long as you do your part. We got a contract. And as long as you do your part, then I'm obligated to do my part. But if you stop doing your part, I'm not obligated anymore to do my part. It's what I call, I'll give 50%, you give 50%. It's a partnership, and and it's built on behavior, and it it feels more like a business deal. Again, if if you do this, then I'll make sure that I do that. It's it's a partnership, And, and and sometimes it comes out like this: if you treat me nice, I'll have sex with you. There's always this negotiation, whether it's sex, whether it's money, whether it's whatever it is. There's always, some kind of, there, there, there's always some kind of wheeling and dealing. If you do this, then I'll do this. It, it becomes a total give and take. Uh, uh, and the problem with this is that, watch this, it takes constant marketing on your part. It takes constant selling of yourself, constant promoting of yourself to prove that you're good enough that, you can, that that you can equal the task so that they will keep doing their part. And so there's this constant, I'm good, there's this constant updating, there's this constant image, there's this constant, there's these constant things. But the problem with that is there's never any true intimacy in the marriage. There's never that verse that God talks about in Genesis all the way back. It says, and they were naked and unashamed. There's none of that because you're constantly trying to prove that I'm gonna do my part. You're constantly trying to prove that I'm Superman and I'm Wonder Woman. I'm constantly trying to prove because I'm trying to get something from you, so i got to constantly prove that I'm doing my part so you'll do your part because we're in a contract. And if I have a bad day and and you see me as Clark Kent instead of Superman, then you're going to let down on your part, and there can never be any realness. There can never be any transparency. There's never any real intimacy. We never really experience naked and unashamed. Hmm. Come on, are you guys with me? It's kind of quiet in the house today. I'm a little nervous, all right? Now, I'm not ready to go to covenant marriage yet, but let me contrast the covenant marriage. You see, a covenant marriage allows us to be real, it allows us to be secure. It allows us to be naked. And guys, I'm not talking about physically naked. I'm talking about emotionally and spiritually raw and open. And this is really who I am when I step in to the telephone booth. Come on now. Naked, transparent, naked, real, naked, honest. This is who I really am. And it will get exhausting trying to always sell an image of yourself because you then have no phone booth to go to to take your cape off and you've always got to be some kind of superhero, but it's your home and your marriage when no one else is around that ought to be your phone booth that you can go to and be real and not fear that they're going to leave me because I'm real. Come on, everybody. Because we all have kryptonite right? It's the telephone booth. Uh, and, and, And there came a place in our marriage where I had to step into the telephone booth and quit trying to pretend I was Superman. I thought that was my role. I thought my role was to have all the answers. I didn't want her to see the real me. I didn't even know the real me. I hadn't taken a real look at the real me. But there came a time where I had to get naked emotionally and be unashamed of that You cannot do that in a contract marriage. You cannot do that in a consumer marriage. Because I have a reputation to uphold, I have to do my part in order for you to do your part. But what happens when I tell you I don't know how to do my part? Will you leave me? Will you fall in love with somebody else that's better than me? Come on, somebody. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I had to tell her some things about me that I had never shared with anybody because that's what marriage is supposed to be. How can we say we're one, but I have secrets? How can we say we're one and I've never been vulnerable? How can we say we're one and she don't even know who the real me is? So I, so I tiptoed into the water. Now, some of you are brave. You'll do cannonballs. I tiptoed. I tiptoed. I said, well, l- let me tell you something that happened to me when I was eight. And, and then I watched and seen how she did with that. Come on. And, and, and where it really showed up is the next fight we had. Any married folks have fights? Come on. <laughs> and, and when the next fight came up, and she didn't leverage against me what I had told her in that naked and unashamed moment, then I knew, hey, wait, I think we're onto something here. When when she doesn't leverage my kryptonite, when she doesn't leverage my weakness, when she doesn't leverage five arguments prior, when she doesn't leverage my weakness and vulnerability against me, then I know I can trust her. And then and only then do we begin to discover what I will call, what what I'm going to call a covenant marriage, right? Right? And we got to quit leveraging each other's weaknesses against one another. And we are there in the marriage to help that individual become one. Come on. In other words, whole. And the two become one. You guys still with me? Okay, let's talk about the third one. And this is where we're going to spend the, the majority of our time. The third one is the covenant marriage. And the covenant marriage, to be quite honest, is the one that is foreign in our world today. It's like, I'm going to say some things in this that are going to go so against grain that there's even Christians that are going to be like, "Uh uh-uh, that cannot be right. Here's where we're going to get into some Bible verses. But I call covenant marriage, covenant marriage, I call it face-to-face. Come on, don't they look sweet? Woo! Uh, some of you haven't been that close since you said I do. You know what I'm saying, right? Uh, it, it's what I call face-to-face, or I call it knee-to-knee, whatever you like, okay? Um, but it's face-to-face or knee-to-knee. Okay, now, I'm stalling just a little bit because I'm getting ready to read two of perhaps the most controversial Bible verses in modern-day culture. Woo-hoo! Look at everybody, sat up and attention. Oh, oh, it started elbowing already. Here we go, all right? Ladies, bear with me just a moment. Here we go. Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 22. Here's what it says. Wives, don't you hate this verse, ladies? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, this verse is the only Bible verse that men know in their whole vocabulary. They don't know John three sixteen, but they know this one. Woman, you know, I mean, they know this verse. It's like they got a bumper sticker on it, right? This verse perhaps is one of the most misunderstood and misquoted Bible verses in the Bible. I'm not going to exhaust it today. We're getting ready to do a series on the book of Ephesians, and we, we, when we get to Ephesians chapter number 5, I'm really going to dive in and do a deep dive and dissect this a little bit more. But I want to say enough today that it fits into uh, the context of what we're talking about. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, let me backtrack and say a couple of things. Um, First of all, I want you to notice what it's not saying. It does not say women submit yourselves to men. It does not say that. If it said that, then it would be declaring that women are less than men. This verse is not declaring that women are any less than men. It is declaring, however, that when we decide to become one... You don't become one with the same, you become one with something that is opposite of you because God looked at the man and said, it's not good, it's incomplete that he's all one. So I need to bring the opposite to him, come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? Come on, how many of you know that opposites attract, right? And then opposites get on your nerves, am I right about that? The reason opposites get on your nerve is because it's foreign to you and it's the very thing that you need that is different than you are. She's a saver, I'm a spender, right? I mean, whatever. She's quiet, I'm loud. She sleeps in. I stay up late. Whatever the things are, it's the opposite. So it's not saying, please hear this, women, this is important. And single ladies, this is very important. This is not saying women submit to men. But if you're going to get married, God has an opposite role for one another. In other words, both parties can't have the same role and have oneness. Okay, so, um, it, so what it's saying is then, if you're entering into this covenant, women, here's your role, and men, here is your role. Now, now, now so what I would say to the single ladies is choose wisely. <laughs> choose wise. See, if you will choose a potential spouse based on a covenant, not on a consumer You will make a better choice going in, and the better choice you make going in, the better longevity you have the possibility of. Can I preach to the young people in the house? Come on, right? Right. How many say, I wish somebody had told me that? Maybe you shouldn't raise your hand in front of your spouse. All right. But but, but hold on here. We bristle at this, yet with the same voice we pray, let me be more like Jesus. And I see Jesus praying in a garden saying, God, is there any other way? I don't like what you've chosen. Is there any other way? And there is no greater way that Jesus demonstrates his love than by him submitting to the will of the Father and saying, not my will, but I love you enough to say, thy will be done, even though I don't like how you're going about this. There is no better way for me to show my love and to have oneness than for me to submit. And that, my friend, is an incredible love. And we focus on submitting when we should be focusing on sacrificial love. Can I get an amen in the house? Come on. Oh, I know. I know. It's, it's weak. I, I was stepping out on the ledge asking for an amen on that one. But here's the other thing. is we quote verse number 22, but verse number 22 is incomplete. See, men, uh, people, humans came along and put the verses on the letter. This was not written. Paul, Paul isn't writing this and saying, who watched verse number 22? This is going to cause a lot of problems. Oh, now I'm going to write verse 23 on the other page. (laughs) It wasn't divided like that. It was one continual thought that if you're going to come together, chapter number 5 is about marriage. He said if you're going to come together and you're going to be one, women, here's your role. You have to submit like Christ submitted out of love to the Father. Remember, he started this whole thing by saying that marriage is a mystery. And the mystery is found in how Jesus acted. And Jesus submitted himself out of love. Ooh, I can tell this is going against current, all right? But you cannot read verse 22 without having verse 23 with it. So men, if you're going to memorize verse 22, I would say memorize verse 23 first. Because 23 is a tougher verse. It doesn't sound like it based in America's language. But verse number 23, it says this. For the husband is the head. Now, that sounds wonderful. That sounds, at first, that sounds like I'm the man and she better submit. You need help. (laughs) Because we see the head as in I'm the leader. That's not what it means at all. I already defined this in part number two. The head means, first of all, marriage is is dual leadership, but it is single leadership in responsibility. He is the head from the place of responsibility. Remember Adam? You're responsible for this garden. Adam, where were you when Eve was being tempted? See, you're the head. See, Eve sinned first, but God went to Adam first. Why? Because he's the head. He was the one in authority. He's the one standing at the gate. He's the one guarding the garden. Men, be responsible for your marriage. Be responsible for her health. Be responsible for your kids be responsible for what programs are being played in your house what music is being played in your house what is going on in your house you're first the head in responsibility well it's not my fault it might not be your fault but it's your responsibility it is makes you think twice before you want to propose now doesn't it everybody huh it's true that's what this verse means now let's dive into it a little bit more because he doesn't just say, be the head of the wife. That's not, there's not a period there. It goes on and says, as Christ is the head of the church. Oh, so what did he do for the church as the head of the church? He died. He died for the church. Oh, that headship doesn't sound no, so much fun anymore. Women are like, yeah, I'll submit. You got to die. Right? But do you see both verses are telling us the same thing? Not my will, but thy will be done. Dying to self. Head means servant leadership. Because the head of the church, Jesus, he didn't come to be served. Come on, ladies, don't elbow right now. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve headship is servant leadership headship is laying down my life for the for the case of unity and oneness Headship. Are, are, are you hearing what I'm saying here today? It, in fact, when Jesus showed up on the scene, he wasn't even into titles. He didn't have to say, I'm the king. No. Instead, he picked up a towel and started washing and serving his disciples' feet. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what headship is. It's serving. It's not my will, I'm going to serve you. And headship is not my will, but I'm going to serve you. And Paul says, that's the mystery of marriage when she serves and he serves, that when we die to ourselves, we then become one. And when we become one, then and only then do we live, come on, happily ever after. Amen? Now, I'm going to do more of this on on Ephesians, but then it goes on. Remember, it said that uh, God said it's not good that she he's alone, so I'm going to make her a helper. Let me dive just a little further into this. I've already done it, so I don't want to... Speak a lot on this, but helper. Remember, remember I talked about help meet and helpmate and all those different terminologies, come to the rescue like a superhero. Well, as I was writing this, I was looking at some more commentaries and, and cross-referencing. Watch this. She's a helper. Now, if you if you see that as a second-class citizen, then then we're not picking up the true meaning of helper. A helper literally means, here's another great definition, that she is reinforcement. For the battle, and if the reinforcement doesn't show up, the battle will be lost. Come on, girl. Woo! Yeah, I will do the dishes any day because she's coming to my rescue and gonna reinforce the battles I'm facing in life. Come on, it's like a regimen showed up to reinforce an army that God said it wasn't good that that army's all by himself. Come on, everybody. Can you receive that today? All right, well, it's going to get worse if you can't handle that. Here we go. Here it goes. Don't you love when the pastor says this sermon stinks? All right, here we go. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 5, let's move down the page a little bit. Verse number 31, it says, For this reason, this whole reason, her submitting... Him being the head, both dying to self. This is the mystery. It's after he identifies the roles of the man and the woman or the husband and the wife. Then and only then does verse number 31 come. Now he says, it's for this reason. Because she understands, not my will but thy will be done. He understands servant leadership, pick up the towel and wash feet and be a servant, not a king. For this reason... Because you understand these roles, because you understand covenant marriage, then he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father. To die? Yeah. To die to self and be a servant to her. When I make the marriage proposal, see, we've got it out of whack. The original marriage proposal was a man coming to a woman and say, can I serve you the rest of my life? Through rich or through poor, come on, through health and through sickness, Through good times and bad times, can I serve you? Can I? Come on, everybody. That's what headship means. And Paul is saying, when you understand that, then and only then, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and unite to his wife. Or some translation says, become one with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The King James Version in this verse says that he will leave and he will cleave. The word cleave means to be glued to. Come on now. But to leave means to be separated from and glued to another. I, was, I learned how oneness should work in the family. That's how it's supposed to work. Most of us don't have that. So I can leave that oneness to be united and become one here. Wow. Wow. The whole idea of leaving is a whole sermon in itself. Because a lot of men and women, for that matter, don't know how to leave. They're still emotionally connected. Mom, you'll never believe what he said to me. Shut up, hang up the phone, and go become one and work it out with one another. That wasn't in the notes. I can't tell if there's more. If there's more men. Cl- men are afraid to clap. They're like ha 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 ha. <laughs> Okay, let's keep on going. i got a lot to finish. All right. Watch this. Let's talk about how it happens in the church. When a wedding happens in a church, and it doesn't have to happen in a church, okay, but it's symbolic. When, When I do a wedding ceremony, I ask a set of questions. Some of you in the room, I've done your wedding, and I ask a set of questions. To each, I say... I'll say something like this. I start off, before we ever get to vows or ever get to rings, I'll say something like this. I'll say, uh, if I could use Mark and Susan here. um, uh, By the way, it's good having you guys home. And uh, I would say, first of all, I'd start with Mark and I'd say something to you about, hey, Mark, today you're making a sacred vow. I I would start dumping the responsibility on him. I mean, man, she can't prove her love any other way. Man, she's given up her family, her hopes, her dreams to be able to come under your covering. Do you get what's going on, boy? I don't say it quite like that because we're all dressed up and we're supposed to act nice. Okay, but that's what I'm saying, right? If I've done your wedding, you know I start with that. And then I look over at her and say, girl, do you know what you're getting yourself into? This knuckle-dragger, have you tested him out? Come on, right? And and I say something. And then when I'm done with talking to them about their responsibility, then, then I have them talk to God. They're still not facing one another. And I say something like this. Do you promise to love? Do you promise to cherish? Do you promise to? And then I get to the end of all those promises, and I'll say something like this. According to God's holy ordinance. Because they still haven't got to the place in the ceremony where they're making a promise to each other. They're still making a promise to God. And they're making that promise to God in the front of all the people that are the witnesses that are supposed to be doing life with them to help them through the challenges to keep the promises that they made. You're not here to catch a garter. You're not here to have food. You're here to be a witness to a sacred covenant that they are making before a holy God. I should have said that nicer, but it's just I'm excited about it, all right? all right but but notice again they're not speaking to each other yet they're looking forward they're answering me only because the pastor is representing in that situation God's covenant God's voice to them and and they are technically making a vow to God before they make a vow to each other and before they exchange rings in other words they are speaking vertically before they are speaking horizontally they get to hear each other make promises to a holy God in in The presence of their moms and their dads and their friends and their families, and then they say, "I take you to be my awful—I lo- mean, my lawfully wedded." Okay, and, <laughs> and then they say, in sickness and in health, and then they say, because man, I've already promised to God. Now I'm, pro-. and they got to hear you make a promise to God. And if that covenant is real and those words are real, that gives each other tremendous security. That's why the piece of paper is important. Because I'm not promising to love you today. Duh. Of course I can love you today. Somebody helped you get dressed. Somebody did your hair. Somebody put your makeup on. Somebody rented me a tux. This is the best I'm ever going to look. Of course we love each other today, but the piece of paper and the covenant says, but I promise to love you tomorrow, and I promise to love you on the bad days, and I promise to love you in the valley, and I promise to love you when all your body parts don't look the way your body parts look today, and I promise to love you. That gives me the security to be the person and have the healing that God wanted marriage to bring in my life. Come on now. Wedding vows are not expressing my present love or really my present infatuation, okay? That's a given. I'm promising future love. Friends, that thing gives me the ability to be real and to be open and to be honest. Because, wait a minute, she promised to God that no matter... She promised to me and her mom and dad and her friends that I could have a bad day and she won't walk out on me. I could have a bad season so I can be real to discover and heal. See, I can't heal me if I'm hiding me. Hmm. The, pro- the wedding vows are promises to fortify us and these promises, this covenant keeps us from throwing in the white towel too soon. They give us love, they give love a chance to gain stability. Our love didn't have stability in our first couple years. It was, oh yeah, well oh yeah, and it, there was no stability in that, but the vows kept us from walking out on each other that allowed love to have some stability to it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It allowed us to be vulnerable and truthful without fear of our partner walking out when we are working on ourselves. See, promises limit our options right now in order to fulfill more promises later. Can we go a little bit further? Uh, Let me take it just a little bit further. See, when we first fall in love, you think you're in love with the person. How many have been married 35 years or 25 years or 20 years or or 10 years and you recognize I wasn't in love? I I thought I was in love, but it's only till we had a few fights and a few storms and a few disasters. Oh, that I really now I love you when your hair's messed up. Now I love you when I seen you on your worst day that's love. Come on now. See, I told you last week, Patty's had at least five husbands since we've been married. (laughs) All in me, because I was one jerk at 21 and a different kind of jerk at 31. I'm not a jerk anymore, so leave me alone, all right? (laughs) See, at first, you love the idea of that person. I, I, I didn't purposely hide my flaws. I didn't know them myself. What we, what we at first think is love is more ego satisfaction. Okay, let me explain that, because I could tell you're looking at me like, what? I'll tell you what that means. Okay, the first time we kissed, I mean, the whole date, we went to the singing Christmas tree uh, in, in, at a church. That's our date, because that's who we are. And so we went on a date. We, we came home and uh, dropped her off. And the whole time, I didn't pay one attention to the singing Christmas tree. I'm thinking the whole, the whole time, this is the night I'm going to kiss her. This is the night I'm going to kiss her. This is the night I'm going to kiss her. Oh, man, I hope she doesn't slap me. I hope she doesn't say, ah, no. I, man. This is the night I'm going to kiss her. Come on, guys, don't look at me like that. You know you strategize this stuff out. This is the night I'm going to kiss her. And oh, what a thrill it was when she kissed me back. Woo! Come on, girl. But let's be honest. The thrill wasn't so much because of my love for her. The thrill was the flattery of the fact that she kissed me back, which meant she liked me too that she accepted me. That's the flattery. So of course the thrill changes after 35 years. Because she has proven over and over and over and over and over that she chooses me. Come on, are you hearing that? Nothing is like the power of being known and being loved. Watch this, I want this to be on the screen. I got a couple more minutes here. To be known and not loved, is our greatest fear. Ladies, you need to hear this. Now, this is true for ladies too, but men are way more insecure than you give us credit for because we walk around all the time. Look at that bicep. Look at that tricep. I'm good. See how big my truck is and how much horsepower I got? But we're fearful. We're fearful that you won't love who we are When the biceps and triceps are gone, we're fearful. And so we make contracts and we become consumers instead of appearing weak. Because everything about society has told us don't be weak. But everything in marriage says it's okay to be weak. That's good preaching. I'm glad I come to this church. That's good teaching right there. (laughs) To be loved and not known is superficial. So you can love each other. Oh, we never fight. Then, then you don't know what real marriage is. In fact, I order you today, go home and have a knockdown drag out. All right, just, I mean, just go. Start throwing dishes, kick the dog. I mean, no, I'm just kidding, all right? But in, until you see the real me, you don't even know if you love the real me. Come on now. All right. Um, when someone has seen you at your worst and still loves you, To me, it's like being loved by God. That's what marriage is supposed to be. That's the mystery. That if you've seen me this bad, and I'm ashamed of the way I acted, and you still love me, God's saying, that's the mystery of marriage. That God loved the church. Oh, man. It's humbling, and it liberates us, and it strengthens us, and it gives us a little bit of heaven. Now, let me just throw these three little last points at you. They're fast. I'll take a minute apiece, two minutes on the last one, all right? See, when we are in a covenant marriage, a covenant marriage gives us what I call superpowers. A covenant marriage gives us superpowers that the other two marriages you don't get. It's just willpower over there, and it's feelings and emotions. But a covenant marriage gives us superpowers. The first power is the power of truth. It's the power of truth. In other words, marriage doesn't create the weakness, but it reveals our true identity. Remember, marriage is a mirror, and all of a sudden I'm confronted with the truth of I'm a jerk. Wow, I didn't realize what a jerk I was, but it gives you the superpower of truth. Now, this might sound discouraging, but it's really the road to freedom and healing because until you know the truth, you can't be set free. Until you know who you are, let me say it another way. The only flaws that can enslave us are the ones that we're blind to. And isn't it amazing how marriage opens your eyes, right? And the two become one. Now, hold on. Let me make a little statement here. I've been making the case this whole series that the two become one and become more complete. So the single person might be making the argument, yeah, but I'm single. Does that mean I have to be married in order to be complete? No. That's why God created the second institution called the church, Marriage he created for two to become one. Church he created for two to become one this way. And I don't have a husband or I don't have a wife. Yeah, but you got brothers and sisters that love you enough to keep you accountable. The two institutions are all about helping us be who God created us to be. Come on, everybody. Are you hearing that today? All right. Thank you, three people. All right, number two. The covenant marriage gives us this superpower. It gives us the power of love. In other words, you see my flaws, but you love me anyway. That's where real healing comes. I will never get healing. That's why I always say we got to be an open circle. you got to allow people in this church to be on the journey. We don't throw stones. We don't throw rocks. I know you believe this, and I believe that, and you don't believe this, and I do believe that, and you're wrong on this, and I'm right on that, and all that. It's okay. You will never grow. You will never have healing until you get in an atmosphere of love come on that allows you to have that see patty loved me which gave me the security to be real to be honest to show her my kryptonite and she didn't leverage that watch this this is powerful she had the power to overturn other verdicts and other opinions that have been passed on my life because i knew her the most and she knew me the most Watch this. I'll give you a quick example. I grew up, and you've heard me say this, I grew up very often being called stupid. You're stupid, and then it would usually be followed with this, and you'll never amount to anything. That came from a very influential person in my life, and so therefore I believed that. But when I got married, eventually, come on, she started overturning that verdict that was already passed on me. And she knew me better than the people that said that. So if anybody ought to know that, she knows that. She's been sitting on the front row for 35 years listening to me be her pastor. And every Sunday we drive home, oh, honey, I don't know how you do it. You're brilliant. That was amazing. I've read that chapter a thousand times, and I've never seen that. Yippee, Hercules, Hercules, how do you do it? Watch this. You know what she's doing? I know it wasn't the best one, but thank you anyway. But what she's doing is she's overturning. You're stupid. You'll never amount to anything. She's overturning it by saying, you're brilliant. I love you so much. Come on, married folks. Where are you at? We don't need another voice telling us what society has said. We need a counter voice that knows us better than anybody, loving us better than anybody. That's the mystery of marriage. And by the way, real quick. That's where real intimacy, naked and shame comes. That's where it happens. You know me the most, but you brag on me the best. Intimacy, into me, see. You know me? And you love me? They said I was stupid and they didn't even really know me. But you know me. And you think I'm all that in a slice of bread? Whoop whoop. Right? I've got I to gotta end, so let me give you the last one. Now, usually when we tell the truth, we leave out love, and usually when we tell the truth, is anybody else agreeing with me? Usually when we see a flaw, we attack the flaw. And so, well, Ken, I don't get, how does truth and love even work? Whoa, that's the third superpower. The third superpower is the power of grace. Remember, marriage is supposed to look like the church. In church, the marriage. And you can't have it without grace. Truth. Put this on the screen. Truth. Uh, I think you can. Truth without love ruins oneness. See, I could tell you the truth, but I do it without love. There's no oneness. Yeah, I'm a jerk. I know I'm a jerk. But you told me, and you yelled at me, and you said it without grace. It ruins oneness because I don't trust your. I'll, I don't trust your motives. Hmm. Come on, guys. We've heard this a million times. It's not what you say. It's yeah and then love without truth though stops the journey of growth can you give me the next one love without truth stop so oh I just love you I love you Uh, I just I I ignore all those little things now little things you should ignore but there's some things you shouldn't ignore and if you keep loving and you don't want to upside down the apple cart then what happens is it stops the journey of growth but we're supposed to be growing together come on the solution then is grace okay I got to end so let me end with this illustration I haven't thought through this really good, but here's what Grace is. Um, my wife, she likes rocks. She collects little pebbles and rocks. Any other rock collectors in the house? And, and we go on. She, come on, let her feel some love. Her, there, Angela. Okay, we got Tiffany, Angela. Okay, we got a couple rock lovers. You guys should start a life group. All right, anyway. <laughs> she likes rocks. We've walked on beaches all over the world. Walked on beaches in Puerto Rico, she collected little rocks. Walked on beaches in Bahamas, here's a few rocks. Walked on beaches in Florida, got a few rocks. Walked on beaches in California, she oh, look at this rock. I'm like 10 miles in front of her, would you come on already? I've seen every rock in the world. And, and, and guess who gets to carry the rocks? That's headship. I start on the walk weighing 205 pounds. I end the walk weighing 255 pounds. (laughs) And if you come to our house, all over the place, in our guest bathroom, there's a little jar with some rocks. If you go in the den, in the study, on a bookshelf, there's a little jar with some rocks. On the kitchen table, there's a little whatever you call it, thing with some little rocks on it. There's rocks all over. So a couple years ago, the kids bought for for her birthday a rock tumbler. And so now her and her granddaughter, they go find rocks, and they put them in this tumbler. And it's quite the process. And it's quite loud, too, by the way. (laughs) And if you just put the rocks in the tumbler, the rocks will damage each other. If you just put two individual rocks in a thing called marriage, it will damage one another. And those rocks will come out more chipped and more scarred and more dull and more beat up than they went into it. Sounds like life, doesn't it? But when you buy the rock tumbler, they sell you the solution that goes with it. And when you put the rocks in there, you put the solution in there also. And it is the solution that keeps them, when they bang into each other, from hurting each other, damaging each other, scarring one another. And I would submit to you, if you don't have grace, two people that are broken are only going to hurt each other more. But when you put the ingredients of truth and love and grace and you do this thing called marriage and you tumble together, they don't make you worse, they make you better, they rub off the rough edges. You come out shinier. You come out better. You come out looking more like Jesus, everybody. Come on now. I got to end right there.